Our passage this morning comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It's, on your, it's in your pew Bible there uh, on page 983 if you want to go there or on your device uh, as you access a copy of God's Word. Would you hear now? The words of Paul to the Colossian church. Hear the word and consider. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, before him, if indeed you continue in your faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from one hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flowers fade. Amen. Good morning again. Uh, I want to say, I would really want to say thank you. Um, my family and my, well, my, myself and my family are extremely grateful when, because we don't know each other, right? And so for me to be here because this church loves ministry the way that you do is a privilege for me. It's the sort of thing that happens when um, there's a, small degree to which I never wanted to be like a preacher. And so to think about some of the blessings that happened because of the Lord having called me to that, not a thing that I chose, where I get to meet some of his people in a place I'm not familiar with and to be encouraged in the midst of that is a humongous thing for me. Um, And so I'm trying to make sure that I say it without being like emotional because I did talk to somebody this morning about the fact that, like, the newness of all of this caused me to not sleep last night. Uh, and I, know, I don't think that it's just discomfort, uh, but I also know that there are tons of things that, like, I say this to my 13-year-old son quite a bit, like, it's not accidental that he's really sleepy during sermons. That's not an accidental thing. Uh, And I think he recognizes to some degree that he's involved in a warfare. 
but it's not of his choosing. So I want to make sure that I say this. What I'm about to talk about and everything that we do as the church, it really does involve that warfare. It really is important that we know that Jesus Christ is preeminent, meaning first, uh, because like, it starts to weigh even more as I stand before you right now. And now I'm looking at you and I realize like, y'all are some of the people that are going to be fighting with me. So that's not a small thing to me and my family. I just want to say thank you for it. Um, in my notes, though, this sermon actually is titled, um, He is Certainly Worth the Mentions. If you can think about the way that people talk about mentions right now and who deserves to be mentioned, and uh, even in terms of campus ministry, sometimes like what, I'm, what I catch myself trying to do is trying to keep up with like really big ministries. Like how often is this ministry mentioned? Uh, like Twitter or like Instagram. Like famous people. Like this is what I think about when I think about Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is actually the most famous. Like his enemies talk about him a lot. His friends talk about him a lot, but he is certainly worth the mentions. And so when I thought about that, I thought about this church, I actually thought about Paul is writing this letter to this church that he didn't plant. And he hasn't been there to visit them. They are a group of people that essentially just need to be reminded which is kind of a daily thing, right, for human beings. Like, y'all are just people just like me that need to be reminded that he is actually the special one. He's the only reason that I'm in town. He's the only reason I'm on my campus. And so when I think about those things and think about the way that I constantly um, have to expose those things to people, to students, or even in churches, like, that's where this comes from. Like, he, like the two points, he is the Lord of creation, And he is the Lord of redemption. I think those are the most important categories that I've had conversations about, even with people who don't know Jesus. So like if you meet, if I meet a student that doesn't know Jesus and they don't necessarily have this perspective, when we start to go into a passage like this, that person would ask the question, what does it mean that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? Why does that matter? What is creation? How do we know about creation? What are the opinions that people have of creation? What do I think about creation? What does the church think? And so I go to this. It's from something that we had to write um, in a class for Dr. Ligon Duncan. There's a piece of literature that says this. It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. All that God created has its origin in God, being his work. And that work we call creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. There's a man named Herman Bavink who defines creation as the theater of God's glory. So this is where we are. So like, let me try to make sure that I do this the way that I normally do it. Like when, like I'm going to almost act like this is an RUF large group and try to mention the stuff that's around that I think that people can catch. So if you think about the theater of God's work, like the theater of his glory, 
So many of us know that thing. Like, I talk to students this way. Every one of them has something that comes through. Uh, like, it almost comes through in the form of a face. For a lot of students, it's like a grandmother or an aunt or an uncle or something. Like, there is beauty in front of everybody. Like, that beauty. And I made this joke one time and realized I probably shouldn't make this joke in terms, like, because of being a married guy. Like, I said Beyonce. So I mentioned that like Beyonce has this sort of remarkable beauty that a bunch of different people are like talking about and they, they almost ascribe to her face some work of the Lord that doesn't seem normal. It almost seems like she's extraordinary. And so we start to talk about these things, like what are the things like beauty, like superficial stuff, money, like houses, ownership. All of those things, like when people think about creation on my campus and we're talking about creation, like that's kind of what they're talking about. Their idea of God creating this world is for them. That's how they think of this world. He's a kind God because he made whatever I like. But they're very rarely going back behind it, though to understand that there's not just something before all of that stuff, there's someone. There is a person who is preeminent. And if you think beauty, or you think um, Beyonce, like I'm old enough actually for it to probably have also been Banner White. I remember watching Will of Fortune and being like, Banner White's probably the most beautiful person ever in the history of the world. Like whatever that picture is, beauty. And I mean like it could be reading for you. It could be your ability to hold a conversation and walk away from that conversation feeling objective and achievement. But there's a person that holds the title to doing that well. There is an actual person that does that perfectly. So this passage is actually, actually saying this. There's a person that you can see and see God. Like this is said earlier in the scriptures, no one has ever seen God. Jesus says this in John chapter 1. No one's ever seen God. You know how ludicrous it is for people, for a man to actually be saying, I'm God. That's crazy to this group of people that are surrounded by these beautiful things like learning, like these people are surrounded by learning like we are, like a university context. And learning will make plenty of people feel special. Some people will even feel if they're in a situation where they're learning more frequently than other, others, they're better. And like he's pulling, hopefully, us away from it though. And so he's saying this, Jesus is, he's not only the image of the invisible God, he's the firstborn of all creation. So like all of this creation stuff, this theater of God's glory, if there is anyone that will actually inherit it, it's him. That's what that firstborn means. It does not mean he's created the way that creatures are created. His preeminence means that he's there before this creation happens. He's the one that would inherit it. 
Why this is super duper important is because of like later what we'll see like the redemption portion of it is really, really important if you get this part. Like if you think of Jesus and think of his splendor, like his splendor separates him from even the greatest of the things that we can think about. Like the best stuff. I think that's why this guy Paul includes the word things. Like you can put so many, like there are so many things to plug into that term for things that you could consider come before Jesus. I'll say this this early in this sermon. Man's problems come after Jesus, not before. So when we find ourselves in a place where it's like this thing, this is what I feel. I'll be very honest right now. I talked about this a little bit this morning. I didn't sleep well. I had a fear today that I've never felt before. Or maybe last night. And I was kind of glad that my wife was asleep because I didn't really want to be bothering her with it. And the sermon almost came to life for me because I was thinking like, man, like I'm kind of nervous in a way that I'm not normally nervous. And I didn't sleep well. And the thought came to me, prior to me ever being anxious and scared, and this is what I said to somebody earlier, I could say about myself today, I am nervous, I am anxious, I am exhausted, I'm uncomfortable, and I'm his. And so I have to sit and actually think about what does it mean if I preach the message that Jesus is before all of this stuff. Jesus is before my anxiety. He's that preeminent. The stuff that I yearn to see changed, he's not rushing to change it. Because he's before that stuff. Like that's how... I think pivotal to this group of people this message would be for them to hear for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him angels these authorities like this passage shows this relationship that Jesus has number one with his father like his relationship with God is about to be given to us essentially when it's, when it's said that he is the reconciler. Like I don't know if you've ever heard this said this way, Jesus wants to give his relationship with his father to you. How many people do that? My son, a 13-year-old, I think right now is struggling with the fact that there are people that I'm discipling and it's easier for me to laugh with some people that I don't have to live with. It's just easier. And so I have to tell him, here's the relationship that supersedes it. Our relationship may have tensions of different sorts and all of that, but Jesus comes so that he can give his relationship with his father to you. And so later in this passage, it actually says this, he's not even going to let you die first. Like, you don't get to die before him for that relationship. So what he does is he's preeminent in his death for the Christian. But what he's, what he's honestly doing is he's extending 
his relationship and all of that goodness and beauty and all of those things, whatever you can think of, like all of those beautiful animals and the creation of those days and those fish and this beautiful fellowship that this man has with his God. All of that stuff, he controls it. Like that's made through him for him. Adam is made for him. That's not a thing that somebody can understand until if you ever ask the question, why is the Bible written this way? It is slowly getting us like this is way late in the Bible. It's slowly getting us to understand like this is not some random stuff that some random group of guys decided to write down. This is actually Jesus making sure that we understand who he is because, and this is coming, there's trouble coming. Like there's tons of trouble coming immediately after this beautiful creation. And we're more familiar with the trouble, I think, at times, than we are this beauty right here. And so he says, Paul says, so it's God... And then it's his relationship with the universe, like Jesus is the one that creates this universe. He is the one preeminent. This universe answers to him. So people need an example. So like some people are on a boat, things pretty crazy that the boat is doing something like being tossed by waves to them. Like that's what it seems like, the way that they speak. It's like this has never happened before. Oh my goodness, the boat is going to turn over. In multiple situations, Jesus, Jesus shows his power over the universe. Like he walks on water. And then he tells storms to cease. And it's not just a trick or like a magic trick sort of thing he's doing. He's tying directly to Genesis chapter 1. It's like, well, this is God's world and God created this. You could almost look at it this way to some degree. God is like the king of creation, maybe, and Jesus is the Lord. This is his to have. And his father sends him into it to show it. So we're following this man who makes no sense in terms of a human being. Because this is what people have struggled with. Like, what do I do with a person that's God and man? The easy answer is you follow it. Whatever he does, you do, or you attempt to do. So he's the Lord of creation in this way that everything that you can think of creation-wise, earthquakes, storms, beauty, love, affection, commitment. Like Romans chapter 8 says that the world is actually committed to seeing God's children manifest manifested. So this world is crying out for us to recognize that Jesus is Lord. That's what that passage is about. Jesus is the Lord of creation with all splendor, absolute splendor. There's God, his relationship with God. There's the universe, his relationship with the universe. And then it shifts from like this, almost like, it's almost like it shifts from creation to what redemption means for people. Because creation is almost almost like a lofty thing that if I talk about it, probably even as much right now as I've talked about it, somebody's like, yeah, that's cool, but what about me? It's great that he made the clouds, but how does that apply to 2023, my struggles, the things that I find myself doing that I don't want to do, all of those things. This Lord of creation 
is also Lord of Redemption. So the way that I've thought about this for a few years, it pales in comparison. I just, like this is how my brain works, trying to come up with examples and stuff that makes sense of stuff to me. I thought about this in terms of like Michael Jordan letting me shoot basketball with him. Like that's how I thought about it. Uh, like when I first became a Christian initially, when I see this passage, what I see is like, if this is true that this is the Lord of creation, he should definitely have nothing to do with me. Because on his planet, I have done plenty that is not pleasurable to him. He shouldn't have any interest in me. He shouldn't want me to receive redemption. He should probably feel that way about mankind. The creation of the material world and the creation of man kind of leads to this being, I guess, the focus of the idea of Jesus being the Lord of redemption. After God made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it. Westminster Confession of Faith 4.2. His body was created out of pre-existent matter and his soul communicated to that body by God. Man is not only the crown of creation, but also the object of God's special care. Creation of man followed a divine counsel and was in the strictest sense of the word an immediate act of God. Man is exalted, represented as standing at the apex of all the created orders, and crowned as king of the lower creation, and is given dominion over all the inferior creatures. Scripture commits, or communicates, I'm sorry, a whole human race descended from a single pair, from this first father, together with the helpmeet formed for him of the opposite sex from his side, have preceded the whole human race by successive generations. Human beings are extremely complicated. Very, very complex. The complexity of the creature, the complexity of his nature, causes us to use sin not just be affected by it. Because there are two ways that sin is operating in this world. Like, we're being sinned against, but sin is causing us to sin against. We're very complex. We hate sin. And committed daily. We were created not to. So we find ourselves standing before this Lord, this Creator, in the need of help, because it's his world. These are his things. He understands how complicated we are, how complex we are. He understands that there are people that we want to love well, and we just don't know how to love them well. He understands that we want to love ourselves well, and there are moments that we don't love ourselves well. And so he for sure understands that we don't love him well. 
Even those of us that have given ourselves over to him, there are moments that we don't love him well. What do we do with having been, having been created in this way? I think the natural proclivity is to move from him. But this man, is, this man Paul, is telling these people, don't actually do that because that preeminent, splendid, wonderful, perfect man, God-man, is actually the one that's going to also do the redeeming. And you're supposed to feel like my family says, like we say this, I say it about myself more, I'm raggedy. So this perfect, perfect person wants to use who's raggedy. And it feels strange. Because I'm not the visible face of God. And I'm not the firstborn of creation. And if you really, really delve into who I am, I'm probably more insecure than anybody in this room. So the most important thing that ever happens in my life is the Lord of creation becomes my Lord of redemption. So I'm not redeemed because like I was born in the right place. Like there are students that come to JSU that think I'm Christian because I'm Southern. I think I was born into it. And I just ran from it, and then eventually it grabbed me in 2005. And, but I have to tell him, like, I'm redeemed by the one who's doing this, and he decided to let me be part. I wasn't really that desirous of him. I just wanted the creation part. You can think of a lot of stuff that's a part of the creation thing that's desirous, like fame. I want the Lord of creation to give me the stuff from the creation. Like, what can I see that he can give me? And then this really, really beautiful truth springs forward, which is, he's also Lord of invisible things. So instead of asking for the money, ask him for patience. Instead of asking to be famous, ask to be delivered. That's what he's doing. Like he's, make, he's making himself known as this creator, this God whose primary focus is actually not the things. The things are supposed to push you toward him every time. Like one example of that is I think the only reason that bread is in the world is so that later when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, there's a point of reference. Like people understand the necessity of bread. That's the only reason I think bread was created. I like focaccia. It's kind of like my favorite bread, I think. I know it's strange to say this. I think the only reason focaccia is in the world So that when Jesus says that he's Lord, I have a thing I can think about that he's Lord over. And I said this, and this is weird. I've said this to people before. This is weird. That's the preface. 
There's this way that Fakasha melts. <laughs> that is such a beautiful culinary thing. I don't think anybody could come up with it but him. I think there are tons of things that we probably overlook that have immense beauty in them because of this creator. Number one being redemption. The superhero never dies for his enemies. The superhero has died for his enemies. That's how far redemption goes with this man. So as we think about it for the rest of this day and hopefully for the rest of our lives, as we see like, like the way that today looks, that's him. And when there's an earthquake, he's not doing something less beautiful. By our interpretation, it's a terrible thing because death is a terrible thing. But I want you to hear me say this, when death happens, this is not me being insensitive, when death happens, it's him working, showing that exactly what he has said is true. When that man was told, I had to say this at the funeral of my wife's aunt, and I'd never really thought about it, and I just ended up saying it, and I had a bunch of conversations later about it, it just kind of rolled out of my head, and I said, when that man was told if he ate that fruit, that he would surely die, it probably didn't look like he died. But if right now you are aware of or maybe even afraid of the reality of death, it means that God actually didn't lie to that man. And so what we have to do with that is actually trust everything he says now. Because if he said that and you could be an absolute enemy of his and you still have to die, it means that he wasn't lying. It means he's the creator. So if I tell you or if anybody tells you that that is the one that God has redeemed you, trust it. It's not going to always feel like it. Because death now has to be around and we have to watch Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit do this stuff that we don't approve of. I did not want my aunt to die two weeks ago. But I know exactly what Jesus is doing because he hasn't shifted from what he's always been doing. Hebrews says he was doing it yesterday, he's doing it today, he's doing it forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us to hear from your word about your son, his relationship with you, is ours. His relationship with this universe calms our fears. His relationship with the church brings us near, gives us a people. And his relationship with us, like these Colossians, who were indeed alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh 
by his death in order to present us to you holy and blameless and above reproach. Thank you so much for the kindness that is your grace. Thank you for the opportunity again to speak about it. And I pray that forever it is known to as many as you would have. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.